Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. guys welcome back to becoming buffy and a merry christmas to all of you since this is technically our christmas week um on the podcast even though we're recording this like a month earlier but you guys don't know that um we hope you guys are having a happy holidays and if you're not it's okay we're here we got you just you know put in your headphones listen to our sweet sweet voices (laughs) yeah here i'll sing you guys a little bit (laughs) what's a really annoying christmas song I'm trying to think um, of one. Jingle Bells probably, right? Jingle Bells isn't that bad. Oh, I got one. What's what the you're melody? actually going to sing? <laughs> this is not Grandma got great. run over by a reindeer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Christmas Eve. You could say there's no such thing as Santa. But as for me and Grandpa, we believe. Hope that guys. Well hope that brings you guys, you know, comfort <laughs> this Christmas season. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That one or well, the one about figgy pugging? What's that? Oh one? yeah, uh, it's we wish you a merry Christmas, but that's like the second or third verse. No. We so all want some figgy, some figgy pudding. pudding. Oh yeah, that there one. There we all want some figgy pudding. There Whatever. Guys it go. <laughs> Either way, hopefully that got you into the Christmas spirit. Just kidding. Anyways, today we are talking about season four, episode twelve, a new man. And guys, it has been like two seasons since we've had a Giles-centric episode. What in the world? I have something really embarrassing to say. So I knew this title – that's not that bad. I knew this title had new in it, and I had just woken up from a nap, and I was like, I need to watch the episode. And I titled it New Moon Rising, God forbid, and it's definitely (laughs) not that episode. And I for sure 100% thought that was still called that until you said it right now. So (laughs) – there you go. New moon rising. Jaws is going through menopause. And expert That's in Buffy lore, am I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I think we kind of need a Christmas break. What do you guys think? <laughs> We're all a little bit tired. A month early. Christmas break yeah. a month early. That's really funny, Tabby. No, this is a new man. This is about Giles. And let me tell you, if there was ever a time to have a Giles-centric episode, it is now because I really, really feel like Giles has been falling into the back burner of this season, that he's not really been at the forefront as much as he has in the past, both him and Xander. I hope Xander is next as well because I'd really love to know what's going on with him. But I do think that like episodes like Beer Bad did focus a little bit more on Xander, um, but Giles has just been aimless and so it's really refreshing to actually get to talk about what's going on in his head and hopefully turn a corner a little bit with his midlife crisis here all right so a new man season four episode 12 also guys we're halfway through the season as of this episode which i i know every single season we say that like oh my gosh this is going by so fast but like wow Crazy, crazy. I feel like this one feels weird because season four feels like it doesn't know which direction it's going in. Yeah. And so the fact that we're halfway through, it's like, it's almost, it's not like, oh my gosh, we're halfway through. That's so crazy. It's more like, my gosh, we're halfway through. How is this season going to turn around? Like, how is it going to end up somewhere? 
Yeah, I was thinking about that today. I was like, oh, we don't even know what the big bad is. This is the first episode that they're like, oh my gosh, all the demons are afraid of something called like 214. We're like, okay, tell us what that is. Because at this point, there's been literally no major conflict except for like between Buffy and Riley, really. And like the initiative's kind of there, but nothing's really happening. So yeah, it's weird to be halfway through the season. Um, this episode was written by Jane Espenson, which is why it's so freaking hilarious. It was directed by Michael Gershman, which is why it looks so beautiful because he's the director of photography. And I'm always so impressed by the lighting and how beautifully shot his episodes are. Um, he's also the cinematographer for Hush, and he was nominated for that episode. And he directed Passion and Consequences. So like just these like great, great episodes. Um, it aired January 25th, 2000. So generally, Buffy's birthday episodes happen in either the 11th or the 12th episodes. And usually that is like, I would consider this another turning point of the season. So after like episode seven, you have, okay, here we're starting to move into the conflict of this season. And then right around season episode 11 or 12 is when you start to have the introduction of the big bad and the um, overarching like conflict that's going to happen that season. So Douglas Petrie says, we felt that Giles was a little bit undeserved at this point in the season, and we wanted to give him something to be doing. It's always fun to have Ethan Rain back in the mix. Really, this is Giles's midlife crisis episode. It was the first time that we got to deal with a metaphor that was the adult, not teen-oriented at all, and it was quite a bit of fun. There were a couple of ideas kicked around. We were talking about a portal. We were talking about him becoming younger, him becoming older, him kind of recapturing his youth by becoming, I don't think seriously, but I know Jane Espenson was kicking around the idea of getting teenage actors to play teenage versions of Giles and Ethan and to have young Ethan try to seduce Buffy. That was an intriguing idea, but ultimately we went with a pretty straight on metaphor of his questioning himself in the middle of his life and he's turning into a monster. Oh my gosh, we almost got to see like Ripper Giles like coming back from his time in college. And I uh, always feel like Ripper Giles has been a little bit not used enough like underdeveloped it's hard because when you give a character such an interesting backstory i feel like it's hard to find a good middle ground either you like overuse it to where like that's all that's interesting about them is their past or you like don't you like barely dive into it where it's like an interesting part about them that was never developed enough so you're constantly wanting more and i feel like they chose to underplay it because they didn't want it to upstage Giles now, which I prefer, but I would have wanted a bit more of Ripper Giles because I'm like, oh, it's so interesting. Yeah, you're definitely not alone in thinking that, Leah. The majority of people that I interact with, all of them say that they wish we had gotten that spinoff uh, Ripper, which I think we mentioned long, long time ago, probably in the spoiler section. But at one point, they were tossing around several spinoffs for the show, I think after Buffy ended. And one of them was to do a Giles spinoff about his younger days and call it Ripper. And that obviously never panned out. But I personally think that would be an amazing spinoff for Disney to think about now and just cast someone as a younger Ripper Giles and like focus on that to kind of like dip their toe back into the Buffy waters without doing a full reboot. But oh man, I would give anything to see Giles's Ripper days because they sound incredibly intriguing. So Tony had himself started to feel 
kind of left out as well. In Katz's book, Into Every Generation, Head is quoted saying, I was beginning to feel a bit like a standby. We'd left the school and it was just Giles's apartment people would come to, always with problems. I didn't feel as core as I did before. And Josh said, well, it's not called Giles. It's called Buffy. But leave it with me. Let me have a think. That's what gave him the idea with Giles having a midlife crisis because he was feeling left out. This episode marks a turning point for Giles, hence the title, A New Man. Also the double, or I guess you could say triple meaning with Buffy having a new man and Willow having a new man who is a woman. (laughs) Um, Also, Spike feeling like a new man. Like everyone's kind of been floundering a bit this season, and it seems like things are maybe starting to turn around um, with all these new people in their lives. I mean, like if you think about it, you have – Tara entering in, you have Riley entering in, and you have Anya coming in. So like three of the four main characters all have new love interests or new friends who could be love interests. So it's just, it's like everyone has a new man except for Giles. And I will say slightly spoilery, but not super super spoilery. Um, This is the beginning of Riley starting to see Buffy who she is and not what the initiative has always seen her as, which also ties into the title. Like in some ways, Riley is starting to become a new man, which I think is kind of fascinating. So this is unfortunately the last episode with Robin Sachs, who plays Ethan Rain, um, which I'm a little sad about. And I can't believe we're here already because he's been in four episodes He was in Halloween, and then he was in The Dark Age, and then Band Candy, and now he's back in A New Man, and we never see him again, unfortunately. Another another thing about Giles, I mean, this isn't necessarily about Giles, it's more about Ethan Rain, but I feel like he was a really underused character. I wish that he was more than like a one-off character, like just to annoy Giles pretty much. Mm. Like, I wish it was... There was like a whole storyline where he came in and was there for like a a few consecutive episodes and like did more in Sunnydale besides just kind of be a thorn in um, Giles's side. Uh, I think that would have been so interesting. And I think that there was definitely potential there. And if there was any season to try and do that, they should have done it this season because there was a severe lack in consistent villains. Hmm. Yeah, that would have been really interesting if he'd been for like a couple of episode arc for this season. Give Giles a little bit of his own conflict on the side. So Passion the Nerd points out that while this episode is about Giles, it's also a bit about Buffy. He says, We've spoken previously of how Ethan represents the theme of chaos on the show. The implication here then is that to go with the flow or to lose ourselves from our commitments or responsibilities in life is to abandon our cohesive identity and submit to the chaos of the universe. There are many characters at a tipping point in the show, and Giles and Xander are the most self-evidently so. In a post-high school librarian era, Giles is lacking a vision or direction for himself and not having a job to inform his days. And it is our vision that is supposed to be guiding our choices and actions, and those choices and actions then informing our identity. In the end, he is brought back from the brink by a Buffy who still sees the real him, but he still needs to grapple with an important question. What do we do now, Giles? And I thought that summed it up pretty nicely. And again, we haven't really fully gone into like the whole like Giles as the 
brain, the head, Xander as the heart, Willow's the spirit. Because I mean, that is semi-spoilery, but I feel like it's really important to kind of talk about leading up to that kind of reveal. Um, Because there's episodes like this where once you understand that that's what they're kind of going for, it makes so much more sense in dissecting like the character analysis of the episode. Have we ever started out an episode with like two people making out before? Oh, yeah. Buffy and Angel making out in graveyard. Buffy, constantly. yeah, I was about to say Buffy. And no, Angel the, for the sure. start of an episode. Maybe it's just a jump Pretty scare sure. for me because I was like, I did not remember <laughs> the scene at all. But also, like her making out with Riley, it was just so it was so quiet and the smacking was so loud. I don't know. Well, and have we kind of seen them make out yet? No, I don't think. We, I think no, that's what's alarming is that we haven't really mm, seen them make it's out. Alarming, like, Buffy. No, <laughs> Buffy and Angel. I mean, we had seen them like get steamy and like kiss and like, pretty quickly. So by the time that they were kind of making out, it was like they were either official or they had already been official. They had been through a lot. Whereas like with Riley and her, I'm like, oh my gosh, like dang you guys just met <laughs> i think it's it's hard because the last episode was doomed and they um did not come off like they were like super infatuated so with each other like we knew, yeah. they, we knew they cared for each other but they were kind of going sure. through some big stuff so i feel like this is like a huge jump to go from that to this but at the end that's of the day so like, true that's yeah. so true because last episode was weird with them and then now all of a sudden she's like things are going really great and you're like wait <laughs> Did he like manipulate manipulate you from last episode? Blink twice if you need help. <laughs> I will say Mark Lucas does not look completely comfortable. I don't know if you guys noticed, but at one point, SMG, it was like she had to pull his arm around I her because you could really tell Mark Lucas wasn't closely. sure where to put so his hands. <laughs> Tabby's like watching with her fingers over her eyes. For real. <laughs> I literally was just writing notes. I was like, Mickey out, um, Willow's gone. Um <laughs> Wait, so the next time you guys watch this episode, wait for that moment where like Mark Lucas, like he's like trying to make out, but like he doesn't want to slide his hands down too far. He's like not sure where to put them. And then at one point he kind of like pulls his hands back and SMG kind of grabs his arm and pulls it around her a little bit. And I was like, this is just pulling me out of the episode already. Oh, oh man. Well, they're like in between making out, she's like, Willow's gone. And I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, if you're going to bone, like just do it. Like why are you Just lock the door. So Who cares weird. if Willow comes back? Just lock I know, the door. I I don't know. Weird. Um, and then Will hurls in, says there's some danger. Then they run to wherever this is supposed to be. I don't even know where this the rec room. Lounge, rec room. Okay. Have another surprise party. And poor Giles is just like awkwardly chatting with Anya and Xander. And you can already tell right off the bat that he's just kind of feeling like awkward but he's like he's making some pretty good conversation i really feel like anya being was really on her major ex demon don't know what to say mode this episode and i really feel like it was like a little too shoved down her throats i honestly thought anya and xander were kind of cute together i really liked how she kind of looked to xander and that cute smile she gave him when she was like all happy with herself for i'm not talking about their relationship i thought they were fine i'm talking about like more like I felt like they just weren't really sure where Anya was going. And then all of a sudden this episode was like, we get it. We know what direction she's going in. And we're just going to really, really go there and make everyone understand that she doesn't know how to converse pretty well. I think this is because this is the first time we've seen her in a social setting outside of Giles' apartment. And so she's having to interact with people in a more – I won't say formal, but it's not as casual as the gang just hanging out at Giles' apartment, you know? I thought it was really interesting. Like we've talked about the science versus magic like 
kind of subtext that they're going with for this entire season. Um, like specifically the imagery behind Buffy's crossbow and Riley's gun, like in Hush when they point at each other. Um, I think it's really interesting that Riley decides to listen to Buffy and not go for backup when they're heading towards the rec room. Um, instead, he relies on the weapon that she gives him, which is the crossbow. And I think it's a small thing, um, but I think the show is hinting that Riley is becoming more and more influenced by Buffy and being more influenced in her way of speaking in her way of thinking. And I think that we're going to start seeing Maggie Walsh, like seeing this and becoming threatened by it. I think the last scene between Maggie and Riley is kind of a hint at this where Maggie's like, wait a minute, why are you a lot of setting up? Yeah. Why are you willing to like break the rules? It's not explicitly shown, but there's like a lot, like just through the conversations that Maggie has with Buffy and Riley and then with Giles and stuff, we're kind of seeing, they've laid a lot of groundwork for Maggie's, like worldview. And we're seeing how it directly clashes with Giles and Buffy and the rest of the Scoobies. And so I think that like Maggie's all about control. She's all, all about um, like operative conditioning. And so I think that we're going to watch her really struggling with Buffy and Riley's relationship. And I think things like this where Riley grabs Buffy's crossbow and says, instead of going to get back up is a kind of like a foreshadowing of that. Like there's tons of little hints in this episode and it's really interesting. Well, and then like Buffy's like being super sweet to Giles this episode. And it was like, Oh, like Giles, I want you to meet somebody introduces Riley. And like to Riley's credit is like very like um, excited to meet Giles, but poor Giles is like, had no idea that Buffy was uh, even like dating anyone. I just felt bad yeah. for him. I was like, dang, everyone knows she's been dating Riley. Everyone knows Riley is in the initiative. Even Spike knows we found out later. Like it's just, I felt really yeah. bad for him. I will say it makes me happy that the show, cause like in a lot of high school shows, if there is like an older mentor, cause there usually is like an older mentor or kind of parent figure in shows. Who's, um, that, who's that creepy guy in Glee? That everyone no stop. I he's so gross. (laughs) Um, I'm thinking usually it's it's more of like a single parent or something along those lines that kind of adopts a lot of the group. Usually, when the kids start to get older, kids they're like in college, they're my age. But like when they start to get older, there's like this awkward time where that like the parent figure doesn't or guardian figure doesn't really know where they fit in because they're not needed anymore. And sometimes shows handle it well, sometimes they don't, and they just kind of have the character floundering. And I like that we have an episode that addresses it. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it just feels more realistic because any normal parent or parent figure would be feeling what Giles is feeling anyways, especially in a show. I I can tell I'm getting older because um, I'm relating more and more with Giles, especially this episode when he's like sitting by himself at the party. And I was like, "Mm, this is me. Always the oldest one there. And I don't know anyone. I just want to sit in the corner, (laughs) not socialize with anyone. I just kind of like, I don't know. It's kind of sad to see Giles so out of his element. And so I won't say lacking in confidence necessarily, but kind of. I feel like he is kind of lacking in confidence. Like he, he doesn't have his thing to fall back on. And it's just very, very different from the Giles we've seen from the previous three seasons. Also, I think it's really, really interesting to note the framing of this episode when Buffy brings Riley over to meet Giles. They have Buffy and Riley standing next to each other side by side in the frame versus the like 
the next scene or the scene after where Riley goes to introduce Buffy to Maggie Walsh. Like it's very much like Riley's meeting the father figure, Buffy's meeting the mother figure. And the framing of that is interesting because you have Riley standing over Buffy in the frame. They're not in the same shot together. Um, like their faces aren't. It's the, the bottom half of Riley. And I thought that was so weird. And that whole that whole scene when we get to it, it's just – it's a whole underestimating of Buffy. The way that they view her is very much like, oh, you just poke them with little sticks. Like it's not that big – like what you do is not a big deal. Like we're the ones with the technology and with the guns. And Riley certainly has had like the most kills. Like it's very um, misogynistic and – like Maggie Walsh has a lot of internalized misogyny. It's really, really interesting. And classic Buffy to have the father figure be more of the feminist than the female figure. Yes. Though that's mm-hmm. so cool. Like it's so cool how they like kind of reversed things and made Giles more mm-hmm. of the um what am I looking for? Like the the matriarchal position and mm-hmm. like coded matriarchal. I don't know if that's coded feminist. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, and yeah. then they have Maggie Walsh, she's more coded masculine in like how mm-hmm. she talks, how she presents herself. And Her it's stiff almost, movements. it's super jarring mm-hmm. because it's, she's saying things that you would expect a guy to say who's mm-hmm. in the military, but it's a woman in the military. And it's just very interesting, but yep. didn't mean to skip ahead. Love to see it. Well, and okay, reverting back to the conversation, Buffy mentions Walsh says she's the smartest person she's ever met. Ooh, I know she didn't mean anything by it, but I'm like, oh, I could just see like the light deflating from like Giles when she says that. Yeah, it's dying inside for sure. I know, for real. <laughs> and then it skips over and apparently Spike has still been staying with Xander. And he's like trying to find like a crypt to stay in. And then Anya's like giving him all, all these tips. And he's like, oh, that's a good idea. I should find a place with electricity, maybe a good hotel. Well, you could see it click in his head going, wait a minute. I've had all these amenities at Xander's house that I really uh-huh. love. Like his standard of living, he's never lived with like electricity probably now. ever yeah. before. And so he's like, whoa, Well, wait now a he's watching yeah. Passions. He's like, wait, I want cable. Well, it was also <laughs> interesting watching Spike and Anya interact. I was like, this is so interesting. This is a dynamic on the show we haven't really seen. They like, were kind of clicking. Yeah. They've kept them kind of separate. And I was like, they kind of have chemistry. Like, I'm surprised they're not dating just because. Yeah. They're both ex-demons or. They're both ex-demons, but also and- like they're like convictions and like morale is kind of more aligned <laughs> than the rest of the gang. Than Xander and Anya even. Yeah, that's true. That's At funny. this point, they're definitely both more on the anti-hero list. That is true. Yeah. Also, I'm sorry I keep like jumping us around, but back in the previous scene, I forgot to mention that Buffy talked about how this was one of her better birthdays. Like, or she said something about how like she could smash all her mm-hmm. toes and it would still be better. And I thought that was really intentional because do you guys remember what happened her last birthday? It's the episode Helpless where Giles betrays Buffy. And so it was like an added. Do we remember? <laughs> Yeah, do you guys remember so, her last I birthday? I actually oh. don't want to remember. As <laughs> if we like haven't seen this show so many times, did an episode on it. It's not my favorite episode of season three. <laughs> oh my well, gosh! Honestly, Sarah's valid for reminding me because I honestly didn't remember which. One I have it was. to. I have to remember. I have to remind Leah because memory of a goldfish. No over one here. ever talks about helpless. I love it. Yeah. I love it so much. So uh, I just represent all the first time viewers or yeah. anyone who hasn't <laughs> seen this show in like forever because I'm like I didn't remember that and I literally have a podcast about it. 
Leah's like representing everybody with ADHD and learning disabilities. And, no, literally. You know. I'm like, anyone who's dyslexic or yeah. anything, <laughs> I'm with you. No, but I think that that was intentional because Giles is probably remembering that as well and is sitting there like feeling even worse about himself because this is all about him being a father figure and him being like, oh, yeah, that's just another way that I failed Buffy. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this just keeps getting worse. Okay, well, and then apparently Walsh finds out in the next episode that, like, Buffy is a slayer, and she's like, I thought you were a myth, and this is, like, the infamous Best you were myth pun ever. Well, her and face, she she's there. like, oh. No like, one laughs her at being it. Like, that was so dumb. <laughs> you could tell, I could see her she's inner like, monologue gosh, being Bobby. like, don't ever say anything ever again, Buffy, you're so dumb. <laughs> well, it's funny because this is such a classic like meeting the in-laws type of thing. And so both Riley and Buffy are nervous meeting the parent figures, I say in quotations. And you could tell they just don't want to say the wrong thing. And Buffy just completely puts her foot in her mouth. But again, okay, so noting the way that the framing is – they just really, really be little Buffy. They underestimate She's her. She's sitting down too. Yeah. I mean, so is Maggie Walsh, but but Riley's not. He's not. And so you can tell Maggie's comparing her to mm-hmm. Riley right from the get-go. Um, I I wrote like the fact that like all of this is happening on top of the fact that they're not laughing at Buffy's pun. I'm like, you know what? Immediately no. Immediately no. Red flags. Throw them both in the trash. They're just so intense so immediately. And she's going into his credentials with killing right away. It's so ironic because like if anything, Buffy is doing all of their jobs just by herself. It's not even that Buffy is measured up to Riley. It's Buffy is measured up to the whole initiative. So the fact that they're sitting there trying to measure them up when Buffy is clearly – the outright winner is hilarious because it's purely bias. It's yeah, purely bias. Completely. Completely. It's it's so interesting because I think that they haven't really had a female villain so far that Buffy's been matched against. Like, I mean, like a big bad villain. They've only had Drusilla for pretty much just one episode. It was like surprise. Um, until Angelus showed up. So it's really like I'm curious to see where they're going to go with Maggie Walsh because to have someone that Buffy looks up to, respects, is kind of taking over the mentoring position and is a woman, like it'll be really interesting to see their ideologies clash. Ash the Nerd talks about how Maggie is clearly underestimating Buffy like we talked about, but he says this. He goes, a stake is a tool in reference to Maggie saying, you just poke them with a stick. A stake is a tool. Buffy is the weapon. And that's what Maggie's not getting. She's like talking about how we use the state-of-the-art technology and all this other stuff. And we talked about this in Doomed too, like the contrast between the initiative looking for those demons and then the Scoobies. The Scoobies recognize that these demons are sentient beings that have wishes and desires and aren't just, you know, made up of pheromones. And so because they know that and they recognize that, it gives them a, a step up and an edge in finding them. And so it is more than just the stake, you know? But also, isn't it so embarrassing that her her insult is like, oh, you just have a stick, blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, I just have a stick, a literal wooden stick, <laughs> and I'm killing monsters at right. triple the rate that you are. And you right. have a whole initiative, a budget, 
you have military gear, you have weapons and all this stuff, and you can't even take them out in time. Like, that's embarrassing. Buffy is a much better person than I am because if Maggie asked me what my kill was, I wouldn't be over there trying to save Riley's pride. I'd be like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you how many I've killed just this week. Because honestly, I think that she should have. I think they needed to hear it. Which, speaking of, do you guys want to know how many Buffy actually has killed up until this point? Yes. It's like a very small number, though. It's like 200 and something, right? Um, yeah, it's less than that. But I mean, like, that's known kills that we've seen on the screen. Mm-hmm. I know she's killed more than that because, like, there'll be things that she'll talk about. Um, so Buffy vs. Wiki cataloged all of Buffy's known kills on the show. So from the time she entered Sunnydale up until this episode, it's 128 um, kills, demon, vampire, or otherwise. And I mean, you know, including Angel. <laughs> um, Also, it's revealed in the comics that she killed around 17, which is the number that Riley killed um, just in her first year as a slayer before she came to Sunnydale. So girl's got it going on, and I feel like she should be out there tooting her horn a little bit more than she is. So back over at Giles' house, he's like dusting all alone and then um, finds a book as reading and then figures out something, tries to call Willow. And then we we jump back to see uh, Buffy and Riley kind of talking about Buffy's uh, body count is what I'm uh. accounting it to be. <laughs> um, and he's like truly baffled. He's like, he thought that, you know, the whole thing with the gentleman was a big week for her. And just, okay, I'm not trying to be a hater here, but this whole conversation was just so vanilla. I was so bored. They just looked so stiff when they were talking together. I was like, I I was so taken out of this scene. I don't know. Whatever. I have to say my piece. This this was on my mind. <laughs> this is on no, my heart. it's okay. Share your truth, Tabby. Thank you. <laughs> For me, guys. <laughs> no, actually, Tabby, I thought the same thing. Mark Lucas is a great actor. Like, I know he's progressed since the season of Buffy, and he even grows while he's on the show. But you can tell in moments like this that he's still very green. And like I'm thinking specifically of when he says, but you killed the – you did the thing with the – and you drowned. And then it's like he was trying to remember his lines. I could see his brain By trying to make it. it seem like it was fluid when it really wasn't, you know? It wasn't. It didn't, it didn't really work very well. And so – I don't know. It's things like this that throw me out of the episode and out of their relationship. And I think so often Mark Lucas is trying really hard to remember like his blocking, his lines, where he's supposed to put his hands, that he's not actually able to let the chemistry flow between him and Sarah. Because I'm sure there is some sort of chemistry between them. I don't think they would cast them if there wasn't. But I wonder if there's more than what we see on screen simply because – um, Mark Lucas is just too in his head. I don't know. Um, I but think a I part think of your that's a good taps. point, Sarah. I think like w- what makes good chemistry is allowing yourself to really sink into the emotion with the person in the moment. And so when you're too focused on your lines and when you're such a new actor, like it's hard yeah. for you to marry the two together. Whereas like you could tell the Sarah Michelle Gellar is like really giving him so many like moments, and he's yeah. he's really trying to like execute his lines well which yeah. he didn't do a bad job but i think he's not understanding the the uh the mesh between being in the moment and understanding the fluidity of your partners 
yeah. movements and emotions and then also bring in like it's a hard job like i like no one out there is ever saying that being an actor is an easy job like it's genuinely so hard to sell something really well to be likable or not liked if need be um and believable and like emotionally you really have to pour yourself into it you have to really think you are that person and really believe lines are coming out of your brain in that moment and not being memorized like that's a lot you have to go through plus all of your marks like and not looking awkward bodily like there's a lot of things you have to be thinking about yeah and i do think that like joss whedon's lines and the other writers that try to write like joss whedon like everyone says it's really difficult like he writes in a certain way like the syntax and all that stuff is just it's it's a little tricky and i think mark lucas struggles sometimes with the rhythm and the timing of it in a way that sounds natural and that could be because this is his first season doing this. Like I think back to season one i remember sarah michelle geller had a few lines that were not quite as like they didn't flow as well as they would have if she'd been giving them and maybe in season two or three because like she was not as comfortable with it. So I'm trying to give him grace in that. But also, and we've talked about this before, I genuinely don't think the writers know how to write for Riley because some of the words that come out of his mouth, I'm genuinely scratching my head going, I don't think any other character has lines this awful. Like I'm trying to think of somebody and maybe maybe it's because Mark Lucas is so green he doesn't know how to pull it off. Maybe other actors have just as bad of lines but they pull it off because they have the chemistry. I don't know what it is, but either way I think between the writing of him and Mark Lucas's ability to pull off some of these lines, I think it just falls flat and that uncomfortableness for Mark Lucas carries over to his chemistry with Sarah Michelle Gellar and it just becomes awkward, you know? And there are some great scenes that come up. It's just sometimes they're they're kind of sandwiched in between some some pretty rough ones, in my yeah. opinion. I agree. Um, I agree. But there were some interactions with them later on this episode that were totally fine and normal. It was just this I one agree. specifically where I was like, oh, it just made me physically kind of recoil. Well, and it's also hard because, again, Doomed wasn't a great episode for them. So yeah, I'm no, kind of sitting here not. like, I need something to kind of like re- – and then Something Blue was before that? Or was it Something Blue? Or, and it was Hush, I guess. And then well, Something Blue. Something but, Blue like, actually wasn't bad when they had the whole like um, – The picnic? Not that. I'm not talking about that one. And I'm then ta- you're going to teach me? <laughs> I'm not talking about that one, Sarah. I'm talking about specifically the part where she's like looking at the wedding dress. Like his his like facial like, oh, expressions are pretty 100%. funny in that scene. Like I he agree. was he yeah. was doing a really good job. He's like, I'm feeling suddenly really queasy. <laughs> I was like, that's funny. Yeah. I'm going to uh, go because I'm tired yeah, now. <laughs> I'm tired all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, so back to this this moment right here, though. Buffy's saying, if you'd been fighting evil since you were 15, you'd have a hefty resume, too. And then he kind of sits there and, like, chokes on the word, and he's like, 15? And I was like, this is, like, the perfect metaphor for the experience of what it, it feels like to be a girl explaining something to a guy that, mm-hmm. like, has had no, like – he has guy privilege. Like it's like when you sit there station. and go into the details of what a period entails. There are dozens of symptoms we have. And the guy's like, huh? I'm like, yeah, that's been me since I was 12. Ev- no, every single time I tell a guy, like a guy friend or boyfriend or whatever, like the first age I was when I get catcalled, they're always like, uh-huh. what? Or like, we'll be out or guys will catcall and they're like, oh my no, gosh. Like 11, and you're like, 12. You're like, I've been dealing with this since yep. I, before puberty. Like, yep. yeah. I have been dealing with this since I was a kid. Like, 
this is just normal to me. Obviously, mm-hmm. to a greater extent for Buffy, it's not even on the same caliber. But like for Buffy, I just I love how she's humble, but it's also like it's affirming for him and being like, which I mean, ugh, let's be honest, Riley would not have had nearly as many kills if Buffy, like if he had been doing this since 15. But like she tries to be affirming and show that they're both human beings and they're both doing the same thing. It's just one has had a different experience. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So a lot, a lot of the reviews that I saw, and I'm, I kind of think, I think I know what you guys are going to say, but I'm curious about your guys' perspective of this episode. A lot of people believe this is where Riley's insecurity begins with his relationship with Buffy, um, like showing how powerful and how strong she is and the fact that he can't measure up to that. And I'm curious what you guys think. Do you feel like he's insecure in this episode? I don't know if there's a point where I can point to and say, oh, this is when he starts being insecure. I think that this is the first episode where we see Buffy kind of covering up for him Mm. in a way of like trying to Mm -hmm. adjust to his noticeable insecurity. That's what I was going to say too. But I think that it's always been there. I think that from the minute he finds out who she is – there is an innate just like desire to prove himself to her. And I think Buffy knows that and she feels that. And so she, in this episode, I think that's why it becomes obvious is because Buffy is adjusting to him. See, for me, I I know this is kind of verging into spoilery territory and maybe we should like have a little spoiler section at the end of the episode or whatever. But I don't get the sense that Riley is necessarily like full-on insecure i feel like it'd be the natural instinct when like this is your job you're a part of the initiative you go hunt demons and you find someone who's super strong and is able to do all this stuff like initially you're going to be kind of like oh wow like can i handle this is this going to be okay for me and it's something that the show needed to address it needed to address the two of them um with the differences in their strength like it had to um and i think that riley the things that he's saying and the way he's responding and reacting in this episode is very normal. But I also think the episode kind of is trying to mislead us slightly and making it seem as if Riley is the one. This is kind of what you were saying, Leah. Making it seem as if Riley's the one who has the problem when by the time we get to the end of the episode, I don't think Riley is so much the one with the problem. I think Buffy might be projecting slightly. I think Buffy is sitting there going, okay, well, I'm stronger than Riley. That might be a problem for him. So I'm going to hold back. And and she doesn't tell him all these things. And I think that by the end of the episode, like Riley tells her, like, you're really strong. You have all this stuff. Hey, I really like it. Like Buffy's kind of like, oh, you do? And then, okay, cool. We can kind of move on from there. But then, like, Riley still didn't see how strong she actually was because she didn't show him fully in the episode. So there's kind of like, I wonder if it's just a vicious cycle where Riley might feel insecure because he feels like Buffy's holding back in order to, like, not hurt his feelings. And then Buffy senses that he's feeling, like, not great. And so then she holds back even more. And so then he's like, do you not trust me? And so it like leads to this like back and forth tug and pull type of thing. I don't know. I don't know if this makes any sense. Um, I definitely feel that there is some back and forth, but I, I think that Buffy can sense that there is, I wouldn't even say that it's like insecurity or jealousy at this point. Um, 
But I definitely do think that there is a desire for him to kind of measure up to her. Oh, totally. But I, that can happen, like, I think apart from insecurity. It can be, hey, like, right, I want that's to what be I'm worthy saying. of you. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. That's what I'm saying. At this point in their relationship, I don't think it's insecurity. I, I don't think that it's, like – jealousy i i genuinely just think it's like he wants to measure up and he also wants to be like worthy of her to date her in a weird way yeah, like totally i think he just is he's used to being like the macho you know yeah boyfriend guy and all this stuff and so soldier yeah and so i think that he he still he doesn't know how to fit that into their relationship totally yeah no i agree but it was interesting with this rewatch i just was kind of blown away i didn't catch all the ways that Buffy was kind of holding back or not telling him things or whatever, simply to kind of like save his ego, whether he's expressed that to her or not. And I realized that a lot of the things that were happening in the episode were more Buffy's fears and what she thought Riley might be afraid of. Um, and they, she wasn't actually like communicating very well with him about those things. Um, so I don't know. I thought it was interesting. We can talk more about it in a minute because I think there's a couple other examples, but. I know what a doozy episode or doozy scene onto another doozy scene. Oh my god, you guys! Like, here's the thing. Okay, I can <laughs> see like I can see like conversations like heading in a direction of somebody kind of already having a preconceived notion of somebody and then being all snarky. But like this girly went in like like her pants were like literally in flames as soon as he walked in. She was <laughs> uncomfortable, stiff, and was like so rude to him immediately and he was so soft and sweet and was like trying to have like a sweet like normal conversation with her by like complimenting Buffy and she was just taking everything as I was like no I don't like that let me tell you why and then just like went in for no reason she didn't even know yeah. him and she was like she clearly likes like a father figure I'm like okay like, miss psychology you don't even know her you just learned she was a slayer five seconds ago can you stop like my goodness we're at the werewolves when you need them. <laughs> like, sick of my goodness. I want her off my screen. Pulls Oz and Veruca back. Or Veruca For back real. from the dead. And Oz I'll take Veruca back at. if she could just take her out. Yeah. Come on. Sick of <laughs> I know, for real. No, okay, but. In defense of of Maggie, just slightly, slightly. Don't worry, I'll go in on her in a minute. Hello. Just, just a minute. Just, just give me, give me a minute oh. to like. <laughs> if someone came in talking to me like this, I'd be kind of like, and you are. Like he walks in and just like acts like he's like BFFs with her. And also, okay, so his like whole thing about like the labyrinth and Theseus or Theseus, it actually like it was incorrect the way that he was. Talking about it because um, Theseus had the string, so he was able to actually get through the labyrinth. Like it wasn't a problem for him. Maybe that's why she was kind of like sitting there going, "Oh my gosh, you don't know what you're talking about." I don't know, but anyway, okay. I do feel like Giles kind of like walks in and just like starts rambling a little bit. But what you were saying, Tabby, Maggie was not giving him an inch. You know how it is mm-hmm. like when someone comes in, you like you kind of like oh. And you are flexible, like with the conversation, you talk about what they want to talk about, or like you, you just like I don't know. There's a give and take in a re- in a in a relationship. There's a give and take in a conversation. And Maggie was just sitting there, like shooting everything that he was throwing at her directly to the ground. There's also this unspoken, like like dance in a conversation when somebody comes to you. Usually, they're they're the one kind of leading the conversation, and you kind of trickle in by like. 
yeah, I agree. Or like, like you know what I mean? Like giving little she would bits not of information. Him, That's what I mean. For like, yeah. like he's coming in, like kind of, he's supposed to be steering the conversation because he comes to her, right? Right. And she's sitting there like mansplaining everything to him and being so rude (laughs) for real and it was like huh like this like he came to you like are you gonna hear him right like you know what i mean when he's like you know he's being really kind to her he was like you know buffy's been very Mm. influenced by you she quotes you she sounds rather like an introductory textbook and maggie's like i don't lecture from a textbook you don't have to say that he's saying you don't have that's not what he's saying too yeah no Oh my gosh. As yeah. much as I don't like Riley sometimes, I hate Maggie Walsh. <laughs> I literally just can't with her. She just pisses me off, bro. She just, oh, she's the type of teacher with like the bell doesn't dismiss the oh, I do. Or it's oh, like yeah. just annoying things yeah. like that where it's like they just find ways to have a power trip for no reason. Yeah. Like, Oh, she's the type of teacher that only starts teaching because she has no power or control in her life. So she just like starts teaching because she can have control over people who are like twice younger than her. I don't know how to say that. Half her age. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm losing my mind, y'all. It's but okay. like, Me oh, too. she just, oh, she's so, no- I literally hate her. Yeah, I wonder why Buffy looks up to her so much because isn't Buffy so like frustrated with how she just like talks down to people that are been like, I say quote unquote beneath her? Like she's was really mean to Buffy. She's was really mean to Willow. And then here she is really, really mean to Giles. And I'm kind of like, yeah, I mean, I don't also like this hoe. Buffy kind of has love her. Did Sarah say has- hoe? Oh, wow, she cracked her. Hate Maggie Walsh as well. <laughs> I will say that Buffy kind of has a blind spot for seeing the best in people and overlooking that is red very flags. True. That I is mean, true. Think of how many of her friends and ex boyfriends and mentors and all that have done like genuinely horrible things or said yeah. horrible things, and the next day she woke up and was like, "Well, moving on." <laughs> yeah. The stupid thing about this whole this whole conversation is Maggie's not completely wrong because, of course, Joss has to insert a little bit of truth into what the – and I'm going to say villain because I think Maggie's a villain – into what the villain is saying. Buffy is overly self-reliant and independent. But why is she? Why? Trauma. She's been forced to grow up too early. But what Maggie is hinting at reeks of internalized misogyny. The fact that the actual foot soldiers of the initiative are male, and we know that they represent the patriarchy in direct opposition of the feminist bent of the show, Maggie's essentially saying that because Buffy can think for herself, it shows that she was never brought up under a male figure. Again, the whole operant conditioning thing, the idea of Buffy not being conditioned properly, and we know this is why Maggie struggles with her later on in the episode. She doesn't follow rules because she never had a male figure telling her what to do. And yeah, I I hate it. I hate it. Hate it. So in the graveyard, someone's supposed to apparently race tonight. So Xander, Willow, and Giles are just kind of wandering around. They find a crypt that will definitely see later on. It's definitely the exact yeah. same crypt. Hmm. Supposed to be some random one. You're like, hmm. Who do we know that's measuring crypts in this episode? <laughs> At the exact same time. <laughs> yeah. And I think the crypt he's actually measuring is about the size of a coffin, too. I'm like, Spike, that your your flat screen TV is not going to fit in there. <laughs> 
So they go into the crypt and they're like, oh, well, nothing has happened yet. Maybe the initiative has already come in here and swept up. And then he's like, <laughs> the what? And then they like fill him in and poor guy is just like so frustrated. He's like, my goodness, like directly after the conversation with Walsh too, like this is like directly the scene afterwards. Um, and then they're like, oh, no one else knows. <laughs> Anya. A- Anya knows. Okay, okay, Spike knows as well. And he's like, Spike? The absolute disgust and shock in his voice. I mean, I feel bad for him, but also he, Tony Head is hilarious. In <laughs> well, he just does any comic, like comedic timing just perfect. And the absolute disgust of knowing the guy that was chained in his bathtub for a couple of weeks is the one that knows <laughs> about Buffy's boyfriend. Yep. <laughs> Well, and then he's like, he's like, I'll just leave. Like, I'll just wait it out and like see what happens. And the poor dude's just like mumbling to himself. And then he's like, fine. He picks up his stuff, walks out. And then Ethan just pops out, has this whole monologue. And then Josh's like, is anyone there? It's like, ah, oh. <laughs> but I thought you left. <laughs> I forget oh. about that every time. It's so funny. I will say it is really, really interesting because as soon as as soon as like the cut happens, so you have like Giles opens the door, Ethan's like, oh my gosh, and then it like cuts to a commercial break and then it pops back up. Giles opens the door and immediately rippers back. And we see Giles more confident mm-hmm. than we have all episode. And he says, Ethan Ray, you have no idea how much thrashing you is going to improve my day. <laughs> <laughs> We've been missing this side of Giles. We haven't seen him all fourth season. And I do think it's important to note that, I mean, we haven't talked about shadow selves in a while, but Ethan is Giles's shadow self. Mm -hmm. And anytime he pops back into the episode, you know you're going to see a lot of Ripper. Totally. Well, then they they, like the stark contrast. The next scene is them at the bar and they're having drinks. And like Ethan's like, hey, there's something happening in the like. The, the magic dark world, there's something harming demons, and it's not the Slayer. And then he mentions something called 314. Dun, dun, dun. They talk a lot about magic in this conversation. And if you guys remember in the Dark Age, magic was abused by Giles when he was younger, when he was like hanging out a lot with Ethan. And it's been hinted at before that it's highly addictive specifically for Giles. Like he got he got in too deep. So I think that's really interesting because if we believe that Ethan is Giles's shadow side and he's kind of like tempting Giles back into this unhealthy environment, into this unhealthy mindset. And Giles is already very vulnerable because he's sitting here floundering for anything that makes him feel like reclaiming his past youth or anything that makes him feel um, full of purpose. I don't know. I thought it was like a really interesting, like subtle callback, um, but also like it leads into where the rest of this episode is going to go. And then we see Buffy and Riley is sparring and being all super uncomfortable. Um, again, they could just take something that could be so cute and they make it just really physically uncomfortable for you to watch. I was literally going to say, like, why is it when Buffy and Angel used to spar and, like, do stuff together? I was like, this is so hot and it's so, like, chemistry is all over the place. And then, like, when Riley and Buffy do it, I'm just like, this just feels really It's the music. Uncomfortable. It's it the feels music. like cousins. No, it feels like cousins. It feels like cousins. <laughs> feels wrong oh it's just it yeah i don't know what it is but the music grates at me it's like the guitar music that we heard with her and parker and then with willow and xander i just don't like it it's really interesting that they're playing this and not like riley and buffy's theme song theme music 
But anytime that Buffy and Angel were together, they always played like beautiful like strings or piano music. And this, I don't know. I, it makes me not want to take it seriously. It feels like we're watching Riverdale or something. Oh, gosh. Well, it just was funny every time he was like, okay, now holding back. And I was like, girly, we've been watching you fight demons for four seasons. <laughs> we all know damn well this is not like you going like full in. She like barely kicks him. He goes flying across the room. I like... I chuckle every time. And he's always like acting as if he's not like super hurt. He's like, I'm good. And he's like wincing. (laughs) The script says he's checking for broken ribs. I was like, if she wasn't holding back, you would definitely have broken ribs. At the bare minimum. The script also does say something really important. It says that uh, Buffy says, I didn't. I'm so sorry. Riley says, it's fine. I'm good. And then it says he smiles at her, impressed with her. Buffy smiles back wonders, is he going to be okay with this? So like I said, I feel like the script and even the episode is trying to imply that it's not necessarily Riley that has a problem and an insecurity with Buffy's power. It's more a projection on Buffy's end and her thinking that like she has to hide that side of herself and protect him, which I thought was really, really interesting. Yeah. Like like not wanting to hurt him rather than like allowing herself to be fully seen because even with earlier like he had asked her for her like body count and even so then she was like reluctantly giving it to him and then like not like showing her full strength to him and not not in the sense of like beating him to like a bloody pulp but like at least showing him like what she's like capable of is kind of what Mm -hmm. i'm getting at you know yeah like to not hurt him both physically and emotionally you know yeah it's like sparing his feelings Mm -hmm. oh gosh Um, Back at the bar, both Giles and Ethan are, like, belligerently drunk. Um, (laughs) Ethan – or not Ethan. Anthony Stewarthead's, like, acting as a drunk person is actually, like, very good. Like, I feel like what people don't get right about being drunk on – in television is, like, the eyes never – they took a second too slow to reach – the person or whoever they're trying to like look at. So their face will turn and then their eyes will take another second to like reach up with wherever their face is like facing out or looking at or whatever. And like Anthony sort of had totally had that down. Like you, like the eyes feel very heavy. The eyelids feel very heavy. Like he did a really good job at selling it. He's just a great actor. Absolutely. Great actor. And then like Giles is like ranting about Walsh. And then Ethan's like hitting on the waitress, and the waitress is like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, sure." Takes you know their the energy number. together is like so chaotic. I mean, obviously, I know they're <laughs> drunk, but like, there's so much happening in all of their scenes that I never know which one of them to watch. I just wish we had more of them. They're very interesting. Ethan is, you know, like the harbinger of chaos or whatever. Like he literally brings chaos wherever he goes. Um, Ethan makes a joke about like lacing his drink. He's like, "You'll be dead in ten minutes." And then they're he does both, it like, like twice. Each other, and they- <laughs> Die laughing. The different fake outs. <laughs> yes, you will. Kidding. Relax. Stop thinking so much. And enjoy the night. The night is still our time. The time of magic. What I appreciate about this too is sometimes you'll be watching an episode and then they'll make a joke and then all of a sudden like sinister music and then they pan on the person. You're like, okay, so they clearly did something. But you really didn't know that like something was going to happen to Giles. Like you actually did lace the drink with something, you know? I mean, I think at this point for episodes – into Ethan Rain popping in and out of the series. I feel like you're like, Ethan's going to do something. For sure. But they didn't make it like what typically directors do in these situations. You sure. Know? Yeah. It still kind of pulled the rug out from underneath you. Yeah. I didn't guess that Giles is going to turn into a demon. That was not uh, on my Turn into Moloch, actually. 
Yeah, specifically <laughs> Moloch. <laughs> well, they actually shaped him like the Minotaur that uh, Giles references when he walks into Maggie Walsh's room, and I think that was intentional that they like ha- they inserted that that joke or whatever in because he's supposed to kind of look like a Minotaur. But no, I'm just gonna refer to Ms. Moloch the whole episode. Okay, go ahead. You do you. Okay, I do want to say so. I mentioned this before about like Ethan being Giles's shadow self and stuff like that. Um, it's so interesting that in an episode entitled "A New Man," Giles defeats and finally assimilates with his shadow self because I mean, this is the last time that we ever see Ethan reign. So it's pretty much like shown that like Giles turns a corner after this episode. Um, it's even shown physically. At the very end of the episode, when Giles is seen to be wearing Ethan's clothes after he quote unquote defeats Ethan, which I thought was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Ethan represents Giles's past, and you can tell he's tempted to want to go down that path in an effort to find himself again. And then, of course, it culminates with his spells of Fiaral Demon. He wants to give in to the mindless rage and the lack of initiative that the Fiaral Demon is known for, but he actively fights against it and in the end is saved by Buffy, who sees the real him. So I think it's interesting, like, as, like, he turns into a demon and stuff, he's tempted to just kind of turn into this mindless being, which Giles is supposed to represent Buffy's mind. And so there's a real temptation for him to just kind of, like, stop thinking and just kind of coast with the rest of his life, which I don't know about you guys. I feel like that was the perfect metaphor to put in for someone going through a midlife crisis because I feel like when you get older, I mean, let's face it, thinking is hard. (laughs) Thinking takes a lot of energy and a lot of hard work. And sometimes when you're older, it's a lot easier. I mean, scientists have talked about this. It's a lot easier to go have your brain go down paths that it's like very familiar with instead of constantly trying to create new pathways, neural pathways. Um, And they said that like creating new neural pathways, learning new things, trying new things is one of the best things you can do as you get older because it keeps you young and it sharpens you and stuff. And so like, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of cool that they had Giles um, fight against that. Um, so back in like Will's apartment, Willow and Tara are hanging out. And, you know, we just love all these <laughs> sweet metaphors of a budding friendship. <laughs> Do you guys appreciate my pun? <laughs> Such good friends. Best <laughs> friends. Do you want to have like... A little hangout time where we do spells um, deflowering <laughs> this flower <laughs> <laughs> of a rose specifically. With I know, literally. I'm like, gee, I wonder what this could mean. <laughs> string music <laughs> and their makeup's all dewy and fresh, and the lighting is like the closing of eyes, glowing of backs. <laughs> oh yes, definitely, definitely, just best friends. Why? Why else would Willow not want to tell Buffy about her? I know, so quick too. Like I. I I didn't realize how quick of a turnaround, like, she was, like, immediately, like, not telling Buffy mm-hmm. about Tara. I mean, especially when this is so innocent, like, nothing happened, you know? Why would <laughs> I want to tell her about I, <laughs> I feel like once you get out of high school and you're done with your first relationship, like, the moving on period is kind of faster after that because it's, like, mm. you kind of know what it feels like. You're a lot more confident in yourself. Like, you're older. Like, I don't know. I feel like... I understand why there's such a quick, you know, kind of moving on period from a relationship to a friendship, of course. Well, I'm not say after high school. <laughs> I say after your first break, like your first love breakup. That's why it's a little bit more like, oh, that's kind of quick because like Oz was her first love. I don't think 
I don't think it was real genuine love for like like a romantic love for Xander. I think it was like oh no, a crush I will and go lust to my grave. And I think never it was more say lust. That it was true. Yeah, I I think that it was Willow being young and thinking yeah. that she loved Xander. Anyway, we have a whole couple of episodes on that. Sure. We don't need to go over it again. You yeah, all know yeah, how yeah, we felt yeah. about it. Go back Just and listen. Re-listen to, to season three. <laughs> And listen to Helpless while you're at it because that is a really, really good episode. And I'm like, really and David's in that episode. So everyone that go re listen to it. Episode. Yeah. That was so good. Ugh, season three. Anyway, season okay. three is the best. <sighs> and then here we are with freaking Riley, <laughs> Riley, oh. and Maggie Walsh. <laughs> freaking Maggie. <laughs> Mag. No, but this is a good episode. This is a good episode. Um, And then Giles <laughs> wakes up begrudgingly. To his like alarm clock strolls on this is how i feel in the mornings before i get to work i feel like moloch <laughs> i feel like moloch <laughs> he looks himself the in the mucus. mirror and i just love how he's like actually breaking everything and then in one part he looks at like the railing that he broke off and is like damn <laughs> <laughs> i just thought that was the funniest line the way he said it i was dead his agitation just builds throughout the episode <laughs> it starts out so like oh Oh, this is annoying to like, I need to go mindlessly kill something. I was like, whoa, the escalation. Sometimes I feel like there's just something broken about my humor sometimes in television. I think I'm a funny person, but when it comes to television, you it, are they get, Thank you. I I don't need affirmation. I know. But um, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm watching <laughs> well. stuff, it's the stupid things that get me. Like Monty Python, where they just say the dumbest crap. And I think it's the funniest thing. Like this whole episode is genius and funny, but the one line where he's like, damn, like I was peeing laughing. I was like, that's so funny. Like why? I don't understand. Um, okay. So I have a quote here from Tony Head talking about his experience with this episode and like with the makeup and stuff. And it's kind of long, but I thought it was really funny. So I'm going to read it to you. So the interviewer asked him, how long did it take you to get all dressed up like the demon? And this is from the Watcher's Diaries. Uh, Tony Head says, we started off at four hours. It was immensely enjoyable because I did makeup at drama school. I'm always fascinated. It's a piece of art watching someone do something like that. It's fascinating watching the stages that you go through and watching your whole face completely change. There were obviously downsides to it, and there were moments when one would have to come in at three or four in the morning. I just closed my eyes and I'd doze off for a minute, and then you'd wake up and go, oh no, you're green now. <laughs> But we had such fun and there was a great moment when it sort of loses something in the translation because I haven't got pictures of it. But there was a point where we were trying to work out. There was a skull cap inside which the horns attached to, the hard part of the cap. And when we first put it on, there was nothing to hold it underneath. So basically it would slip as I moved or moved suddenly. Then I'd suddenly get this crease on my brow and you could see the shape of the skull cap. So we sewed some little pieces of plastic on the back of my spandex suit underneath and Velcroed it onto the back of the skull cap so that it held place. One of them came undone, and at one point the thing was moving around impossible to get in to change it to stick it back on because the whole suit was glued up. So I unscrewed one of my horns. <laughs> unscrewed one of his horns. And Todd Mc- Unscrewed? Yeah, so this apparently his horn screwed in at the top. <laughs> um 
I unscrewed one of my horns and Todd McIntosh, the makeup artist, tried to go in through the top of the appliance. There's a large hole of about an inch and a half to take the horn. So his hands would just about fit in. There was a point when he had his hands in my head up to his wrist and he's struggling. He's got his foot up on the chair where I'm sitting and he's struggling to get his hand down the back of my head. I got this graphic image of what it must look like with this man's hands sticking in my head and I just cracked up and he caught it and we just were falling about this ridiculous sight of two men, one with his hand and the other one's head. So we had a lot of fun. I don't know how these guys on Star Trek do it day after day. One thing that I've said to a couple of people, there are always things that have association. The latex glue that they put all over your face has a certain smell, which by the third or fourth appliance, you think, I don't know if I can do this all my life. And also taking it off because at the end of a 12-hour day or whatever, it was you just want to get it off and you have to wait. The whole thing was a lesson in the art of putting a demon's head on. It was all about the relaxation and patience. And my stunt double hated it. Oh, I never thought about the fact that they'd have to have a stunt double covered in makeup. Dang. Dang. So they had to do the makeup twice. Yeah, with two separate. Because it has to be exact. That's insane. That's insane. I don't think he will ever get into another suit again. He found it very difficult to sit still in it. I had thought as I prepared for it, one of the things I wanted to do was to change my walk because Joss wanted some part of my face to come through. I wanted my body language to be different and to be bigger and be more clumsy. So the whole thing would be smashing through doors. And I wanted that sort of heavy footfall feel. A problem with people dressed up in a suit is that you can see their feet. I wanted to change the outline of my foot. So I came up with the idea. I knew that I'm all right on heels because I've sort of leaped around stage. And for that, for Rocky Horror, they used to have big platforms. I suggested having little ankle boots like S&M black patent leather ankle boots, pointy toes. I would like to have been on the spiked heel, but I think I'd have killed myself very quickly. So I was only on about three inches, but then nevertheless, it looked quite cool and I was able to leap around. I mean, I actually had to run from stage level right up to the staircase and I took three steps at a time. It firmed my bottom, I have to say. Oh my word. And then Cynthia Bergstrom sculpted and latexed around the pump. And then she made like a little hoof with fur so that if you see him from full body, you can see a little bit of fur peeking out from underneath his pant leg to kind of like really sell the whole thing and to kind of cover the heel. But he says um, it did exactly what he wanted it to do. It changed the way he walked, which helped him become even more in character for the Fjarl demon. So I don't know. I just, I really love that because. Um, only a portion of that quote I found on, I think it was IMDb. And they were like, oh my gosh, Tony had hated the makeup. He hated how much it was or whatever. And I decided to look for the actual quote. And it turns out like he actually loved the entire process. So that is a lesson for all of us boys and girls that if you see a quote without the original context, always look up the context because it may not be what you actually think it is. So I also love like anytime like they talk about his extra character moments in like band candy or this one, Tony Head really goes the extra mile in trying to make his character come to life. Like, I don't know if you guys remember like him talking about how he, like what he did with his costuming in band candy and how he like wore his like painting trousers or whatever to make it seem more like lived in or whatever. I just really appreciate when an artist really tries to embody their character. And I feel like he's one of those that really does it well. I agree. And then back at the cafeteria, Buffy's being all like happy and apparently in love, not really buying it, but sure. Sure, Buffy. (laughs) Um, And then like Willow kind of lies that she was like by herself when the weird magic thing happened. She has some Mm -hmm. theories. Um, Interesting, interesting. 
uh, as if something or someone blocked the spell. Then Buffy is like, okay, I'll tell Walsh. And then good for Willow for being like, hey, like, I think you should tell Giles. Like, he's yeah. been feeling very, like, ostracized and, like, feeling very neglected. And, like, this was a really good conversation. Like, and it felt very fluid. Like, mm-hmm. talk just, like, I mean, Buffy and Willow have great friendship chemistry as it is. But, like, they just really the, – both the girls are just top-tier actresses in general. But they just know how to sink into each other's, like – cues and nods and emotions like anytime they have one-on-one um scenes together it's always top-notch well i always feel like there's been an unspoken bond between willow and giles i feel like they kind of understand each other in a lot of ways and they're very close i mean it's not like the bond between giles and buffy by any means but i do think that they've always felt like a bit like outsiders a bit um and so I think that it's it's sweet that uh, Willow is the one who picks up on Giles feeling left out and speaks up for him. Passion the Nerd points out that Willow, Buffy's spirit, doesn't tell Buffy about doing spells with Tara just as Buffy doesn't tell Giles about Riley. And there's like an interesting parallel there. And then back in the basement <laughs> – he like comes in like a father and sees like Xander sleeping. He's like, okay, I wrote that down too. I was like, and this is my dad trying to, here's an exact representation of my father trying to get me up in the morning. (laughs) No, but dad, it was more of like, I'd sleep until like eight or nine in high school. And he'd be like, I'm a sleeper in the day away. I'm like, oh, I'm in high school. I'm so tired. Like, (laughs) let me sleep in one day. My body is still technically growing. Okay, father. For real. It is interesting. I mean, okay, it's sad that Giles feels like the only person he could go to was Xander. Um, but it is interesting that Giles keeps ending up metaphorically and literally back in the basement with Xander, kind of a reflection of what's going on in his life, <laughs> sadly. What about Spike? Does Spike end up? No, Spike's out of the basement. Okay, ironically, I think Spike's doing better than most everybody else in this episode. He's out there, like, you know, finding a crypt and. Doing okay with his life. <laughs> Measuring crips, you know. <laughs> yeah. He's doing driving great. Giles around. Two hundred bucks in his pocket. Living the living the fancy life. This is like the the exact type of spike that I really appreciate in this episode. I'm like, if you just stayed like this forever, I would really appreciate that. The best part of this is Xander thinking that the was when it when went to his PO, <laughs> when it went to P, his POV and it's like Giles right above him like you know he what he's saying but he's just like wait, wait. it's just so creepy he's like mom <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh he's like gets scared screams and then Giles like runs out um and then back at Giles's place um all the gang is walking in Xander's kind of telling them what happened and then it looks as if that um mulk demon came in wrecked Giles's house took Giles with him um and it's like it's so funny because like Anya's like oh I think he was eaten but I'm like guys there'd be blood and like flesh and bones not just like a ripped shirt come on you would think that she would pick up on right. that too because like as a chaos demon they kind of always not chaos a vengeance, vengeance demon like kind of always leave behind a mess it's like dude they're not just like eating him and cleaning up after <laughs> and licking the floors after they're like ripping to shreds there's no way no the the initiative got here and they cleaned everything up. That's what, that's what the answer is. <laughs> really? They get 911 calls? I was like, come on, you guys. Really? Okay, no. I I want to talk about that. And, oh, wait. It's, I don't um, think it's there yet. I, I might have jumped the gun. When we get there, I want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can have okay, no, wait. That. 
Giles walking through the seminary with the the the, the blanket? blanket on is almost like so funny because I remember in Pangs with spikes spiking around yeah. with the cold in the blanket. Honestly, the juxtaposition of them in this episode is so funny to me. Well, because he's walking around and he's like hugging himself and then he's like groaning and then freaking Spike in the background is like measuring tape with like this tiny crypt. Like, come on. He's probably getting ready to like rob Xander blind and take his stuff and seeing if it'll all fit in the crypt. <laughs> well, I t- oh my gosh, they're they're like comedy together so funny. He's like, I'll give you a hundred dollars. He's like, you're gonna do better than that. Two hundred. <laughs> spike, spike, spike. He is not the brightest demon in the cemetery, is he? Well then Giles is like, I don't want to tell Buffy, which is an interesting part. I don't know. I don't know why he wouldn't want to tell Buffy. What do you guys think? I think he doesn't want to be a burden to Buffy. I think that the whole point is that Giles wants to be helpful to Buffy and still fulfill a place as a watcher and feel like he has something to give to Buffy. And I feel like if he brings up a problem like, oh my gosh, I'm this demon and I don't know how to fix it, he's going to feel like he needs Buffy more than Buffy needs him. Yeah. He's just feeling insecure. He wants to feel useful. And he's thinking – Buffy's thinking that Maggie Walsh is amazing and stuff. And so Giles is subtly comparing himself to Maggie Walsh and wants to be seen as someone like Maggie Walsh in Buffy's eyes. And he thinks that if she knows about this, it's just going to drag him down in her esteem, which we all know is not true. But Giles is feeling insecure right now. And then we see them driving in a car together. They're both arguing, clearly. Um, Spike's like, I've had a few Moloch's work for me. Um, and then Giles asked, like, he's like, hey, do I have any powers? And he's like, the way that Spike talks about, like, his whole mucus shooting thing, um, it's, like, as if he's, like, joking. And he, like, kind of plays into it as a joke. And we, like, later find out that it's, like, a real thing. That part was so funny. I don't think I'd ever noticed that before. <laughs> Giles says that he feels like he's changing and he wants a- to rage and um, for death and all that sort of stuff. And he's like, no, but I got to I gotta push it down. I got to be a better person. And then he's like, wait, uh, let me hop out real quick. <laughs> oh, no. Giles is – or, like, Tony Head's voice – is so funny. It sounds like he has a head cold. He's like, I don't like this feeling. It's like a mindless need to destroy things. And then music gets all like sinister. And Giles is, or Spike is over there like, good times. Go with it. It's fun. I can't do it. Do it for me. Let yourself go. And then Giles is like, I refuse to become a monster just because I look like one. I have a soul. I have a conscience. I am a human being. Ooh, stop the car. <laughs> Oh my gosh, so funny. Sweet, sweet justice, man. Let me tell you. Okay, why does Maggie Walsh, freaking leader of the initiative, not carry like a baton or something in with her? So far, she's been attacked by two werewolves and Giles, and she runs screaming away. Like, does the woman not know how to like wield a weapon? I know. She's like running around like scared when she's like the leader of like a military corporation like i just don't understand she's just a little wimp that's why she (laughs) sits behind and she makes everyone else do everything she makes all these judgments but like really she does nothing yeah so much for her making fun of buffy's pointy stick you know embarrassing honestly (laughs) (laughs) quit turn in your badge he like gets back in the car he's like right let's go then the script says he's like really calm he's like ha he releases demons 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. He's no longer Moloch. That's could you imagine? That's what the episode ends. That's what it is. He's like, all that's right, I'm breaking the curse. My shadow self. <laughs> I've accepted it. I've broken the curse. I've released. <laughs> the mucus comes out. The, what would have made this better? <laughs> oh, the mucus that would came so out flying at Maggie Walsh. <laughs> Don't tease us, guys. We want to see it. <laughs> that would have been funny. It's like itchy, burns the skin. She dies. Things like explode around her as it like shoots out. <laughs> the universe it, it gets excited. We're like, yes. <laughs> Back at Giles' house, they're all doing kind of what like Giles' job is, which is like researching. They're looking in the books to find what the demon is. They find out the mucus thing is true. Then Riley answers the phone. Okay, Riley, you do the most here for sure. Um, <laughs> tells them they tell them that the they can kill him with a weapon made of silver. Um, I love how like Riley's really trying to do like so much that he really thinks is gonna like really help the team, and nothing that he does is actually helpful in this episode. That's what's so funny. Like he, it looks like he's like really doing the most, but it's like the research is the one that's really kind of like helping the most in this scenario. Well, I think he is helpful, but he's not the person that he's not taking lead. You'll notice that he gets information, passes it to Buffy and she's the one that makes, but it doesn't work the for them though. That's the thing is like, he he's going yeah. into to yeah. mode for like the initiative, but it's not helping the situation. Like he's going all like commando and like, like big army sort of mindset. When this scenario, it's like we need to figure out the specific demon that we're talking about. We need to figure yeah. out like how to kill it. And it's like they know what they're doing. Um, and he's like watching Buffy kind of take the lead in this scenario. And I think it's kind of odd for him. Like you see him kind of processing it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he's so not used to it because he's yeah. a soldier. Like soldiers yep. are the one they take orders. They don't yep. um, like give them out. And so yeah. I think it's so weird for him because in his mind, Buffy is the soldier. And Mm -hmm. Giles is the commander in a way. And so it's so weird seeing those roles like not fit into a black and white category that he's used to. I think it was so, so brilliant of the writers to choose to have Riley involved the Scoobies for the first time, like actively working on something in this episode when Giles is out of commission. Because Riley sees firsthand how Buffy steps up to the plate and she's the one that does the research, figures out where they should go, gets the stuff that they need, figures out that it's Ethan Rain, goes to the hotel and then like helps fix Giles and like she does everything from start to finish and Riley's over there like um I could be doing all this other stuff like I'm just or Riley's like I'm the one that's being told what to do I wouldn't know the probably wouldn't know the first thing of what to do if Maggie got kidnapped or anything which again it is interesting that Maggie Walsh calls Riley when she's being chased by demon Mm -hmm. Giles like help I'm helpless talk about the self-reliance yeah so at least it's not for like a freaking like 20 year old like yeah yeah (laughs) it's a little interesting maggie a little interesting all we're saying is that um observations are being made (laughs) yes not good ones but they are being made (laughs) every time we're like we'll talk about that later goes straight in but we will talk about this later We'll get to that later. Later is actually no. Let's talk about it immediately. <laughs> wait, wait to beat. Okay, now I'm getting into it. The The script does say, like, you know, after Riley gets that phone call from Maggie and then they have the whole, like, it stole Giles' car. Why would a demon steal a car? Why would a demon steal that car? The script says, Buffy suddenly becomes General Buffy. She says, a demon that steals a car has a reason. It has a purpose. 
And then it says, they all look at her. They see the change in her. Buffy says, it sounds like feral demons aren't really big independent thinkers. Willow, the spells that have been going wrong, could that be caused by someone using magics to control a demon? So like Buffy pieces everything together. Like she really does everything in this episode. And it just, ah, I love General Buffy. Love it. I think I just love like seeing her get so protective. Like she's like, there's no time to waste, no time to mess around. Giles is missing. Like it's so interesting seeing the the tonal shift from like Giles being like, what the frick is going on? And then like Buffy being like, we need to find him now. Like she's not Mm -hmm. messing around. I love the little parallels of Buffy grabbing the letter opener and Riley saying, that's not very sharp. A little nod back to the stake a little pointy steak. And she says, I'll have to put some muscle behind it. Once again, Buffy's confident. She's in charge. She knows what she has to do. And she also knows her strength. And it's fantastic. But also thinking outside the box is not necessarily what um, they're used to being trained for. She's like, if this could work, like I'll make it work. You kind of have to be like creative. (laughs) Spike charming and chatting up the waitress is hilarious. Giles is like in the shadows with his creepy blanket on, like just peeking at them and Spike's over there like completely schmoozing this girl. Um, In the magic shock, Buffy and Riley break in and then Buffy finds out about Ethan because I don't even know how she found out about There's a credit card that she read, the receipts. Then Riley calls the initiative to find out where he's staying and says that Walsh says... Talk about self-reliance here. Come on. Come on. <laughs> come on, Maggie. Oh, Walsh says you can't come over and play with me tonight. Sorry. <laughs> I have to go to bed. I have a curfew. <laughs> you know he would for sure say that. Yeah, he'd be like, sorry, Buffy. I can't have a sleepover with you tonight. Maggie says that, you know, <laughs> we can't. We can't hang out anymore. Can't see each other anymore. My mother's he betrothed goes directly, me to someone he's like, else. He's like, Maggie. Can I give you a tonight? Please, please. I finished all my training. <laughs> but you said no last time. Oh, yeah. She's a good influence, I swear. Yeah, you've met her dad. Our parents met. They're really cool. She's a really special lady. Oh, my gosh. She's got the purest soul <laughs> I've ever seen. Oh, no. See, no, we haven't got there yet, sir. No, <laughs> I've. I swear. Honestly, every thank episode. God, thank God they put that in the last second. I could not handle that if it was like in the every dead episode. I think I would though, be able to it. There's something that's just so like it just doesn't work. Like why is it, it doesn't work? Like stop making him say it. I swear. <gasps> I wish you guys could see Tabby right now. She's like literally just like giving up on life My right now. My whole body just like recoils at that part. Thank God it's the last like two minutes. It's just hard because I feel like. There's moments where I'm like, oh, okay, I like Riley. I like Riley. And then at the very end of like the past four episodes, he says something at the end that I'm like, instant ick, instant ick. And then we have to start all over again the very next episode. No, when he leans in at the end of Doomed and he's like, what does he say, sir? Um, All I remember is something blue. He says, you're going to teach me. That's what it is. Something blue. I thought it was Doomed. Yeah, no, and you're, you're going to teach me. But he leans in me. so awkwardly. like He, he like grabs oh. her hair and it's scripted. Yeah, he does something else in Doom. And I don't remember what it was because I blocked that episode out once we recorded it and then we're done. But okay, but real fast, I want to talk about the fact that the initiative, aka Riley, um, is tapping into people's 911 phone calls. And they also have a master key that opens every shop on Main Street. Like, okay, so first of all, male privilege. <laughs> like, absolute male privilege. Like, Buffy's over here having to do the absolute most. But I also want to point out, too, 
Buffy shows absolute restraint. And that's something that happens at the end or like something that's hinted at at the end of the the episode where Maggie tells Riley that she's not disciplined. Um, I don't remember exactly what she says, but basically she hints that like Buffy can't be trusted simply because she's unpredictable and she doesn't take orders and directions and like all the other stuff. Maggie says that she reacts on instinct. There's no discipline there. Her loyalties are uncertain, all that stuff. I just think it's really interesting that Buffy has the potential and the capabilities to be able to go break down anybody's door and anybody's home, anybody's shop. There's pretty much very little that can actually keep Buffy out of things. Like Buffy's incredibly strong. Um, But what, what holds her back, what keeps her from just like tapping in on people's 911 calls and killing people, like at the very end, Ethan Rain says, I'm human. You can't kill me. Um, It's Buffy's own moral restraints. And I think that that speaks a lot to her character. And it's also very alarming that the initiative is doing all these things because number one, it's a government overreach. But number two, a huge invasion of privacy. And I think that it's like, again, the whole like free will choice thing. If they're willing to do operant conditioning on demons and stuff, we're slowly starting to see that they are willing to blur the lines when it comes to humans as well. Maybe not necessarily to the point of putting a chip in a human, but their willingness to invade people's personal space and personal privacy and autonomy and all that stuff, humans, shows uh, a very concerning pattern. They're almost playing God. They're testing things that they really don't know. Like they're harming people, demons, creatures, all that in ways that they aren't even like caring about. They're very reckless. As long as they're in their minds, as long as they're furthering their cause, it's all fine. Right. There's this this idea that I can do quote unquote like bad things or I guess morally gray things as long as I have a good reason for it. It's the end justifies the means. And that is a really slippery slope and a really scary slope. So back in Giles's car, Giles is <laughs> falling further and further down the uh, fearal demon rabbit hole. It's just funny because it's like it's almost like Spike is forgetting that he's like technically evil. Like he's yeah. just kind of like, all right, like he's just here for the ride. And then it's like every now and then you'll catch him being like, wait a minute, <laughs> why am I here? What? Am- oh yeah, the money. That's why I'm here. <laughs> it's so funny because Ethan is such like a. Yeah, like he likes chaos, but I also think Spike kind of like lives for the chaos a little bit. Like he doesn't necessarily bring it, but he thrives in it, you know? (laughs) He definitely enjoys it. Yeah, he's like drama. So they realize that the military is following them. There's a couple of different Humvees after them. And Spike's like, I'm trying to floor it. Why'd you buy this car? And Giles is like, hey, you should let me get out of the car and then they'll follow you so I can get away and get back to Ethan. And Spike's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And Giles is like, how about I give you another $100? And Spike's like, done. (laughs) Um, So then in Ethan's motel room, Ethan is packing and Giles bursts in. We hear, as he like comes in, Ethan's like, okay, calm down, calm down. And Giles is like, I'm going to rip your arms off. And then we have Buffy break in and Ethan, that little like slimy weasel is all like, Slayer, kill it. It killed Ripper. Now it's trying to get me. Again, Ethan just thriving in the chaos here. So Buffy tells Riley, don't let him go. I'm going to go kill 
like this feral demon. So I I do appreciate that like Riley handles Ethan fairly well. There were a couple times where I thought Ethan was going to give Riley the slip, but he had, he managed to handle him. So Buffy starts to attack Giles, and then we have Spike basically doing donuts as he's just like taking these humpy guys for a ride and he's like you just try and catch me you just try and then he completely barrels into a loading dock and i think what like a perfect metaphor for giles is like turning a page becoming a new man getting rid of his old car because this is the last time we see this car and as we all know later on i know giles so gets sad a different one i know his don't you like my mask isn't it pretty it raises the dead mm-hmm. miss it i'll miss the car but what a what a metaphor. So Buffy gets the best of the Fiaral demon. She grabs the silver letter opener and says, this is for Giles, and stabs him in the heart. Okay, by a show of hands, listeners. Honestly, very surprising. Yeah, who thought Giles was going to die in this episode? Because I could totally see it. Like, you know. No, like- it was too lighthearted for him to die. Yeah, it was too lighthearted, and I knew that Giles wouldn't go out a by Buffy and B I knew that he wouldn't go out literally as a demon like I knew he if he was going to die they would have given like given him an honorable death death what that whole sentence was like actually wrong <laughs> <laughs> if that actually happened like never recover honestly so Buffy sees Giles's eyes instantly recognizes that it's him um, and I do think it's really significant that Giles and Buffy fight versus Giles and Ethan because Giles's anger is at his situation. And it's mostly due to not feeling seen by Buffy, not necessarily because, I mean, he's mad at Ethan, but he's mostly like, it's just a representation of how he's feeling inside. Um, and so I think it's really interesting that like his main struggle, both physically and emotionally, is with Buffy. So then we figure out that Giles is really cheap when it comes to the things that he owns, that it's not actually silver, it's pewter. And then the next scene is Giles standing in one of Ethan's silk shirts. Again, the the metaphor is right there. He's standing in his boyfriend's shirt. In his boyfriend's shirt, you're right. Yeah, there were some like interesting subtext things in this episode too that I was like, wait a minute. So Ethan's like, nee, 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 you can't do anything with me because I'm human. And then I will say, Riley walking in and being like, by the power vested in me, by the American military, whatever, blah, 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 we're going to arrest you. And I was like, okay, that's that's relatively attractive. I'll take that, I guess. <laughs> the bar is so low. Ooh, good job, Riley. You you had one purpose this whole episode. Good you job. You did a job. You did your job. <laughs> and then this really, really sweet moment. Giles says, I'm embarrassed, mostly Buffy. I don't know what to say. You know, I'd never intentionally. She says, I know. And I'm so sorry about, you know, stabbing you in the heart. Giles says, how did you know it was me? And she said, your eyes. There's only one person in the world who can look that annoyed with me. I was like, the dad look. We all know it well. (laughs) We all fear it too. Seriously. And then my favorite line of this whole episode, Giles like almost giddy says, I think I'd like to go watch the men handle him into a vehicle and like takes off to go watch them putting Ethan into the vehicle. (laughs) So funny. So then Buffy and Riley have this interesting conversation. Buffy says, thank you. Riley says, I told you I'd help. Um, And then Buffy says, you did. If I got here any later, Jazz had killed Ethan. I don't think I would have gotten him back. And then Riley says, you're really strong, like Spider-Man strong. And he says, and you're in charge 
You like to make the plan, execute the plan. No one is giving you orders. And I think, I think that what Buffy sees possibly as, um, insecurity in Riley is possibly Riley evaluating his life and realizing, wait a minute, I'm like incredibly dependent on Maggie Walsh and on the initiative. And I think that I don't think that it bothers him in the sense of how it looks to Buffy. I think it's more that he doesn't have the same freedoms that she does. And I think it's starting to bother him a little bit Um, because they keep talking about operant conditioning with the initiative and stuff. I don't think it's that much of a stretch to think that there are some things that they have taught Riley and the other guys that maybe Riley is rethinking and reevaluating thanks to being around Buffy and, you know, seeing her world a little bit. So then back in Giles's apartment, Giles is like plugging in his new phone and making snarky comments about how it's fabulous technology. And, you know, if anybody has any information, they could always pick up the phone and call me and let me know. And Buffy apologizes and says, I thought I told you about Riley and the initiative. And then she tells him something that I thought was really, really, really important. She says, I'm dating Riley. I'm not dating the initiative. That's an important distinction. Smart. Um, Mm -hmm. But I love the fact that she feels the need to affirm him in that. Like telling him like, hey, listen, like no matter who I'm dating, whatever, I know know where my loyalties lie. And I love that she feels like she says that before like he even gives her like a question about it. I also really like how he respects her decisions and trusts her. And sees her as the adult that she is. And is basically like, all right, I trust you. I believe you. Um, But then he also says, hey, but like, just be aware. Like, Ethan, he's not exactly a reliable source. But he says that like, the demons and other people like that are afraid of something. And it has to do with the initiative. So just be on the lookout. So it was a very mature conversation. And I, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I will say the contrast between Giles giving Buffy the freedom to make her own choices, it I mean, it follows right along with what Giles' parenting teaching philosophy was totally. that he mentioned to Maggie earlier on. The respect. And while Maggie hasn't necessarily done anything sketchy at this point, given her philosophy and the things that she believes about Buffy and Riley and all the others, I have a hard time believing that she's going to be okay with Riley breaking the rules a ton because of Buffy. Like, I can kind of see where this is all going. I will say, like, as long like they dropped a lot of like hints about her um, mindset in this episode, and I'm glad that they just kind of went straight into being like, hmm, "There's something fishy going on at the end." Otherwise, you'd be like, "Do we trust her?" You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of glad yeah. they had it in the same episode. So then Maggie and Riley have kind of like a similar conversation. Maggie's like, "Okay, why do the rules suddenly just break when Buffy is there?" And she says, "You know, be careful." She reacts on instinct, all that other stuff. Her loyalties are uncertain. Riley says, "You won't be disappointed in her. She's good at what she does, and she has the truest soul." Oh I've my ever gosh! Known. No, no, I didn't hear it again. Thank you. Okay, okay. I will say, Maggie being like, "Oh no!" Spontaneous poetic exclamations. Lord, spare me, college boys in love. I was like, I kind of with Maggie for this one, honestly. <laughs> for real. I don't need to hear all this poetic garbage. Okay, but also, like, it's it's nice seeing Lord Jimmy now speaking up for Riley, but, like, it's <laughs> nice seeing Riley, like, have a backbone and speak up to Maggie. Yeah. And being, like, instead of just being, like, okay, Maggie, like, kind of, like, hanging his head low, like, this is a big deal for him is, like, speaking back to his commander pretty much. 
Uh, obviously him spewing off about Buffy, I'm like, uh, that's more of a personal thing. But just like, <laughs> it was a good character choice to see that he's mm. learning to mm-hmm. like, not just take orders. That's a really good point, Leah, because do you remember in what episode was it? Oh, it was the initiative when Riley finds out that he likes Buffy. It's that moment where Buffy talks back to Maggie that Riley talks with Forrest and is like, oh my gosh, like they both agreed no one would be brave enough to stand up against Maggie. They wouldn't be brave enough to stand up against her. And not only does he defy her and break the rules for Buffy, but then him also like sticking up for Buffy at the very end. Like, I think that's super telling that Riley, once again, he's starting to shift a little bit and starting to kind of maybe question things. And I think Maggie is suspecting that and is not going to be okay with that. So then we see Maggie going into a secret door where she has to punch in codes. Then she goes into another door. And as it shuts, we see an examining table. And then we see that the room number is 314. And we are all shocked that Maggie could potentially be the big bad of the season. Yeah. Flabbergasted. Truly appalled. (laughs) (laughs) I just just want to see an epic show off between Maggie and Giles. Like, (laughs) get her sicker. (laughs) Veruca? (laughs) Well, that was a new man. Absolutely hilarious. I feel like it is underrated as far as like comedy episodes go because everyone always talks about something blue in season four, but that episode is so funny. And I'm also really excited to start getting into like the big bad of the season. I feel like we've kind of just been like taking our dear sweet time with trying to build up Riley and Buffy's relationship. And I'm kind of ready to like Move on. Let's establish some like outside conflicts here, not just internal conflicts, because I think that makes things a little bit juicier and or a little bit more compelling too, you know? So, all right, guys, let us know what you think. Do you think that this episode is a great one for rounding out Giles's character development? Do you guys like Ethan Rain as a villain? Are you sad we won't see him again? What do you think about the blossoming <clears throat> friendship between Willow and Tara? What do you guys think about Maggie Walsh? What do you guys think about Riley and Buffy's relationship? And the big question, do you think Riley is insecure about Buffy's relationship with him and her strength? Or do you think that maybe Buffy is projecting a little bit? This is a big question. And I'm really interested to know what you guys think about this. So as always, guys, you can find us on Instagram, on TikTok, on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast. And I realize I don't ever really do this and plug it, but in case you didn't know, I feel like some people don't actually know. Um, we have an angel podcast, investigating angel podcast that me and um, my other co-host Leah are doing currently. So if you love angel, head on over there and listen to our episodes. It's been so much fun. Um, but yeah, with that, you guys have a great next couple of weeks and we will see you next time. Bye.